Welcome everyone to the new episode of the Truth and Rally Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Roman, reporting middle of nowhere. And the play-in started this past Tuesday for the NBA. The Nets defeated the Cavs and locked down the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference. The Clippers lost to the Timberwolves. Timberwolves now have the seventh seed in the Western Conference. Wednesday, Atlanta Hawks blew out the Hornets and will play the Cavs for the eighth seed this Friday. Pelicans defeat the Spurs. The Pelicans will now face the LA Clippers on Friday also. So the funny thing, to continue the what ifs season podcast that I that was doing last week is what ifs what if the Cavs had Colin Sexton and Jared Allen? Would they have been played in the play-in? Would they have beaten this the the Nets? Well, we don't know. But the what if is there because the the reality is they didn't have Colin Sexton. The reality is they they did it. And the truth is they didn't have Jared Allen. They played a, a good game, but how much closer could the game could have went if those guys were playing? The Clippers. The funny thing about the, the what ifs with the Clippers is what if Paul George had played more games the last two months? What if? Uh, why Leonard play? Would they have been playing in the the plans uh, in the playing? In terms of the Nets, it's two straight seasons that they've been playing in the playing. They overall have have improved their record from last year to this year, but again, two seasons in a row they have made the playing, and two seasons in a row they have been blown out. Is it an experience, or do they need a new coach? Because right now surrounding them is they're they're an ascending team. They're an improving team with young players. But the reality is they're getting blown out. They didn't look like they learned like they learned anything from last year to this year. Even though they had improved overall win-loss record. In terms of the Pelicans, you know, the funny thing that's that that's around them is this is another team that suffered injuries. This is another team that has made trades. This is another team that saw Ingram miss games. Zion Williamson has not played one game, but yet he has managed to do three three sixty dunks within within the uh, the past seven days in New Orleans. It is so crazy how what could have what could have the Pelicans season been if Ingram played more games? What could have the Pelicans season been? If Zion Williamson at least played 40 games rather than no games. Since they had gone, since they had made the trade for CJ McCullen, they have looked better. And then adding the fact that, the, that he has played with Ingram, the, the Pelicans have looked even better and has solidified a spot in the play because Ingram and CJ McCullen have played together. But the, the what if does surround them. The what if is if health was there. Are they a team that should be playing the play-in, or should they be a six-seed or better? So this Friday, Cavs versus the Hawks. Both have a chance to win the game and lock down the, the eight-seed. Now, in this season, they played five games, and out of the five, uh, three out of the five games, the Hawks have won versus the Cavs. Both teams are great home teams, while their away record says they are below 500 team. So who wins? How does this game turn out? Does the Hawks have 
advantage on their side because they've won three out of five games versus the Cavs? Or do the Cavs have advantage because they're at home? Both teams will be missing certain players. Hawk could potentially be missing guys like John Collins and Lou Williams, while the Cavs could be losing, uh, already have lost for the majority of the season, Colin Sexton. Jared Allen could come back, but we'll see what happens. If he's gone, those are two key players, not those are. Those are, these are four key players that could have changed the turn uh, the turn of this game. We'll see who has the advantage this Friday. We'll see who wins this Friday. In terms of the Pelicans and the Clippers, ladies and gentlemen, like I said before, the Pelicans have looked a lot better since CJ McCullen and Ingram have played together. Clippers are one and three versus the Pelicans this season. Every game that that they lost to the Pelicans. They lost by 10 points or more. Do the Pelicans win because CJ McCullen and Ingram is a better duo than George and the crew? Or do the Clippers win because Teron Liu is a NBA championship head coach and has more experience as a head coach in the playoffs? Does his experience outweigh everything and lead the LA Clippers into the playoffs as the AC? No matter what, ladies and gentlemen, tune in this Friday to find out who grabs the AFC both in the Eastern and Western Conference. It should be an interesting game. Anything can happen. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, this Friday, Cavs versus the Hawks, Clippers versus the Pelicans. Whoever wins these games takes the eighth seed and will face the number one seed this upcoming weekend. Well, before the playoffs have even started, Luka from the Dallas Mavericks is hurt already. Does this change? Is he going to be available? How? 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 Uh, what? What kind of player are we going to see if Luca does is is able to play in the playoffs? Can Dallas win if Luca can't can't play at all? Another what if? Another what if is going to surround this this playoffs? What if Luca wasn't hurt? To all the is Dallas a good enough team to? Uh, to leave I mean, to win a playoff series with Luca healthy, we don't know, and we'll see what happens this uh, within the next week. What happens with Dallas, and if Dallas can actually win games with Luca being gone? Now, supposedly, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't heard already, supposedly Ben Simmons could be back on Game Four uh, for the Nets versus the Celtics in the playoffs. What do the Nets do now? Remember. Ben Simmons hasn't played one game this season. He hasn't played one one game with the Nets. Does Ben Simmons' presence hurt the offense of the of the Brooklyn Nets? Let's be real. Ben Simmons can't do offensively what James Harden could do, and the reality is he can't. He can't also can't do. Doesn't have the same offensive game as Durant and. Kyrie Irving, he doesn't hit free throws. He doesn't have a three pointer. Three pointer, you know what? Well, how is his defense? What are the? What does uh, Steve Nash do with Ben Simmons? Does he automatically give him thirty minutes once Game Four happens and he's clear to play? What does uh, Nash do? Or does Nash bring him slowly but surely to build up Ben Simmons' confidence and then basically build up the confidence of the team to see what kind of player they have with Ben Simmons? What kind of chemistry? Does Ben Simmons have with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? 
to be an interesting playoffs. And all the Nets and automatic NBA championship team with Ben Simmons. I mean, th- th- this this is so crazy. Like with James Harden being uh, being with the Nets, if Harden could be, could have been healthy, Irving and Durant in this playoffs, they are an NBA championship team. But with Ben Simmons not playing one game this season, this there's a what if factor surrounding the Nets. What if the chemistry is not there? What if he misses free throws? What if his presence hurts Irving or Durant? We'll see what happens. Off to MLB. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the MLB reviews calls, reviews certain foul ball strikes or whatever it reviews um, for the game. But the thing I found interesting so far this year is they're not, the, the umpires aren't looking at the replays. Someone's communicating to them remotely and telling them the different angles of what they see. After having a conference with someone in the ear, then they announce the decision. Like the NFL, they make an announcement not just for the, uh, for the players and the managers and the coaches to know, but they say it out loud for all the fans to hear, which I think is interesting. But it's odd. How in the world... Is is this good? Aren't we, aren't we supposed to trust these umpires? Aren't we supposed to trust that they could do a great job? If it's their job to be there from first inning to ninth inning, shouldn't we trust that they should be looking at the replays and making a decision? Because the truth is, they're not making a decision. And the reality in the end, someone else is doing all the hard, hard work. And what happens if the person, who's the person on the other line? I mean, I don't, I, I haven't, I don't know if they make an announcement of, who the special umpire is looking at these reviews, but it's just kind of odd, in my opinion. So last, last uh, yesterday, Wednesday, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't heard, Clayton Kershaw came in to pitch for the LA Dodgers. In the game, he pitched seven innings and had exited the game after only throwing 80 pitches. On top of that, after he was taken out of the game, here's the kicker. Here's the thing that, 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 that would make everyone uh, start thinking. It was a perfect game. And he threw 80 pitches. Most people were probably looking at this and saying, what the hell? Was this the Dave, was this David Roberts and analytics fault? To, to the reasoning why Clayton Kershaw left? Was this the lockouts playing part of the decision? Remember, the lockout didn't allow, because of the lockout, the normal... February six to eight weeks of preparing for the season where teams go to Arizona and go to Florida to prepare for the season didn't happen. It was like the lockout uh the lockout ended and the teams had a month to try to put things together into putting the best team on the field. So you're talking about three to four weeks to prepare for the season versus six to eight. So ready into the season you see certain players who didn't get stretched out to the 90, 100% pitch, uh, 90 pitches to 100 pitches, leaving games so far early in the season because they haven't been stretched out enough. Does this apply to Clayton Kershaw? It could be because he didn't, he wasn't in agreement with the Dodgers prior to the lockout. He agreed to come back to the Dodgers after the lockout. So is is the lockout the reason why we didn't see Clayton Kershaw go longer? I mean, in my opinion, I'm always thinking about saving the bullpen, saving the bullpen. I would have personally would have allowed him to at least go into 100 pitches, see where 
in the in the game he's at after 100 pitches. If he's in the middle of the ninth inning and has at least one out in the ninth inning, I probably will have let him proceed and surpass the 100 pitch mark and see if he complete the game. But we didn't see a perfect game because after he was taken out in the eighth inning, a hit was allowed and the perfect game was gone. But it's crazy how he didn't complete the game. It's crazy how so many what-ifs surround this, this, this whole thing. It's crazy how the fans right there who were in attendance could have witnessed and experienced a perfect game. Something that doesn't, get, doesn't happen often. And it was taken away from them because of analytics. It was taken away from them because maybe they were worried about, about Kershaw getting injured. It was taken away from them because of the lockout shortening spring training and taking away the normal process of how teams prepare for the season with their, with their starters. Long story short, it's crazy. And so far... So, the crazy thing right now. Want to hear a crazy statistic? So, here's a crazy statistic. And in seven games so far this season, the New York Mets have been hit by at least 10 pitches or more already. 10 pitches or more. In one game, I think they got, a, they got hit by a ball at least three times or four. Or maybe four. I mean, it's not... It's so crazy. How does one team already have in a young season at least 10 times or more getting hit by your pitch. I don't know what the record is in terms of an individual player being hit by your pitch or an overall team. But so far, 10 games, guys have been hit by your pitch out of 7 games. Very crazy. To make things worse, to make things interesting so far in this young season, yesterday at a Phillies game versus the Mets, I'm probably going to see this, this word wrong, rivalry, among uh, fans, already is at full blown. Like it's already like it felt like we were already in September. So fans are even more crazy because fans, the Mets fans and the Philly fans are arguing so much. Where a Philly fan walked up to the Mets fan, grabbed his phone and thrown his phone into the field. I've never experienced that. Truthfully, for me, ladies and gentlemen, we can. Debate, we could be so sarcastic, we could do things to annoy each other, but when it comes to public property, when it comes down to, to physical, uh, to getting physical, I'm definitely in, in the person on board of saying that's a no-no, that's something that we don't do in terms of expressing our passion for our team. We could be loud. I went to a game maybe two or three years ago with Giants versus the Bears where I was clapping my hands very loud because in front of me, or bear fans who are very loud when the bears are doing good. So my way of maybe getting them angry or agitated on letting them know that I'm not going to be quiet or just listen to them being excited about their team uh, having a good game, I got loud and I clapped very loud. That's me. But throwing someone's property onto the field and damaging it is just it takes it to a, a different thing, to a different level. But it does make this whole rivalry. Very interesting. What else do fans do together? Does Philly fans go into City Field versus the Mets? And do Met fans take their phone or take their property? What happens once Philly fans come to New York? Because now social media has put out there that Philly 
fans have taken a phone and thrown it into a field. Now, I don't know if it's damaged. I don't know if the, 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 the Mets fan had insurance. I don't know what happened after the whole situation of throwing the phone onto the field. But it's crazy. So it's going to be interesting to see what social media has for us within the next couple of weeks when the Phillies come into New York and seeing what New York Mets fans do to Philly fans who are in City Field. So, off to the NFL. Baker Mayfield said in the podcast that he feels disrespected by the Cleveland Browns. He feels disrespected because he thought he was going into the 2022 season as the starting quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. But instead, the Cleveland Browns traded for Deshaun Watson and still have Baker Mayfield. Instead of being a star, Baker Mayfield is instead will, could be going into the 2022 season as a backup. And so far, no team really wants him. I mean, last season, he played through an injury and he had a bad relation with, with Odell. So now, does that hurt him? Especially that Cleveland wasn't was expected to, to probably do better last season. And maybe because of his injury, they didn't do as good as they were supposed to. But long story short, it seems like no team really wants him. I mean, the one team that's rumored to want him or is fitting is the Seattle Seahawks. Or my question when I'm looking at the Baker Mayfield situation, is it similar to the James Bradbury situation where teams want to see what how things turn out with the draft? So if they don't get the cornerback they want, do, do teams go back to the Giants and make a trade to get James Bradbury onto the team? Is that, is that the same with Baker Mayfield with one of these young college um college uh quarterback prospects in this draft if one of these teams like Seattle doesn't get the quarterback that they want do they go and get Baker Mayfield and give up draft picks it's interesting to see what's going to happen with Baker Mayfield the reality the truth is last season ladies and gentlemen he was hurt he played through it if you knew what he had in his arm and the limitations that he had in his arm because of his injury then things would make sense why he didn't have the extra touchdowns. Why maybe sometimes, maybe there was a game that they could have won, but because of his injury and the limitations that his injury gave him, they did not win. Is, is, is there, and the reality is, did his relationship with Odell help him? Did, did Odell going to St. Louis Rams, not St. Louis Rams, not the St. Louis Rams anymore, the Los Angeles Rams, did Odell going and playing with Stratford and Cooper Coop and and others with the Rams hurt the Baker Mayfield situation because he went there and I believe he had six or more receiving touchdowns in in less than eight games in the season that he played with the Rams in terms of Odell. Now here's this crazy situation. Antonio Brown is a free agent. Prior to leaving the Buccaneers, he looked like he was still an adequate wide receiver in the NFL. He said the reason why he left the game, the reason why the relationship with the Buccaneers got was bad was because of an injury. And he said he's not going to have the surgery. He says he's going to wait until he's signed in order to, to uh, do the surgery. Now, this is a very selfish thing, in my, in my opinion. You leave, you quit on your team versus the Bucs. It doesn't matter what the Buccaneers did. Their teams, and there's a no-no, I think, in everyone's playbook. And the idea that he left midway, took off the jersey, 
and did what he did put a dent. If he had just sat there and said, listen, I can't go for X, Y, and Z reasons, then you know what? Maybe the, the, the relationship with him and how we look at him would be a little bit different. But the idea that he walked out and took off his jersey just gives, gives him a different image, in my opinion, on what we think about him. It's very awkward. To me, I, I'm one of those also guys. Let me say this before I proceed. I'm also one of those people who feel that if you know your you're not going to be able to play in the playoffs and to play anymore, you find the right surgeon for whatever part of your body needs the surgery, and you get that surgery as soon as possible so that you're ready to prepare for the season, that you get the rehab right away. The longer he waits to have the surgery, there's a chance maybe that maybe his injury gets worse because he didn't um, attack the injury and the rehab soon, uh, quick, as quick as possible. There's a chance that he may get signed, but he may miss games because he finally got the surgery, he finally did the rehab, and he missed three games or more because of a rehab and because of the surgery. We'll see what happens. We'll see if he even comes back this season. Anyway, Tony Khan, AEW, believes that his image, the image of AEW is getting, is being damaged by robots. So somebody's getting paid to make AEW look bad, which is crazy. Because I've never heard of that. I mean, the reality is AEW went from a company that when it first came out, they had a few stars from WWE but a lot of guys who made them themselves famous through the indies, who've made their careers great in Japan and other places. So it, it was finally great to see guys like the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and Cody Rhodes who came in and he wasn't Stardust and he wasn't the, the brown-haired wrestler that at one time had, hit, had the porn stash. He was a new guy. He was the American Nightmare. And he changed his whole the whole outlook of how people looked at him. And there were other wrestlers that they had that were never attached to WWE in terms of making a name for themselves. And they were starting to build up on the image on that. But then within the last year, WWE has rele released at least 30 or more wrestlers and executive, not executive, and producers. And all along the way, it feels like AEW signed at least half of them. Rather than give the guys who they automatically had more camera time, They've given some of these guys more camera time than the guys who originally started started in the company. It's crazy to see that he thinks that think of that. And the idea that that has come out is kind of crazy. I would have kept it to myself. I would have, you know, listened to the critics and try to work around it. But the idea that he's believing this could put a dent in AEW in some people's eyes because he sounds crazy. Because you will never hear that from Vince McMahon. You will never hear Vince McMahon say that. You would have never heard Vince McMahon say that Eric Bischoff and WCW was paying people to damage the image of WWE. And that's why WWE was losing ratings. That's why WCW was beating them some Mondays. Was beating them on, on Mondays during the Monday Night Wars. But I like AEW. I like the wrestlers they have. I like the idea that wrestlers have more opportunities to grow as, uh, in terms of being a wrestler, in terms of fixing their promos and making it better, and getting a time to be on screen. One of the, I've said this in the past, and I'll say it again. WWE, before AEW, 
had so many different rushers, and a lot of times they never really got a huge opportunity to go on screen. And it was awkward. It was not awkward, but it was just kind of crazy because the idea that there were certain guys out there who just weren't getting a chance. And I've said it in the past, I'll say it, say it now. Zack Ryder, a.k.a. Matt Cardona, was one of them. In his last three years with the WWE, I said in the past, he won the Intercontinental Champion and he won the United States Champion. Each time fans loved him, they responded to the woo-woo-woo. And then within seconds after winning these awards, they never gave him like at least six months of just having good title runs, having good matches. Like they just gave him a couple matches and he was taken off screen yet again. Like he, nothing, nothing he did was good enough for them. And now he's w going to all these different promotions and he's winning all these different awards and maybe he's even more popular than he was before. But that's up to you to, to, to think, of, uh, think about. I haven't seen any of them uh, post-WWE matches, but supposedly he's winning a lot of them and good for him. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that's my episode. Like I've said in the past, I'll say it again. If you like the Truth and Rally podcast, go on Apple, go on Spotify, go on any app that you like that lets you listen to the to your favorite podcast and there you can subscribe to the truth and rally podcast and every if you subscribe to the truth and rally podcast you will be made aware when a new episode is available for your listening ears anyway ladies and gentlemen you can also follow me on instagram and tiktok on the truth and rally podcast so ladies and gentlemen tomorrow is good friday this weekend is is easter Happy Easter. Happy Good Friday. Today is a day that, that Jesus washes the feet of washes feet of people who want to portray him. Little side note, but long story short, ladies and gentlemen, have a great day and even better night. Bye-bye.